Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Good morning, church family. My name is Dan Martin. I'm going to be reading the scripture this morning from Psalm 119, verses 65 to 80. Do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I trust your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I have kept your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I might live, for your law is my delight. May the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. May those who fear you turn to me, those who understand your statutes. May I wholeheartedly follow your decrees that I may not be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and the freedom to come together and worship you. We pray that this morning you would open our hearts to all that you are going to teach us, that we would be receptive uh, to the things that you would have us to hear. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Awesome. Well, it's so good to see you this morning again. Welcome to uh, Grace Fellowship. We're so glad to be able to worship together. Let's start with some uh, audience participation. Uh, Raise your hand if you have ever had any kind of difficulty or hardship or pain in your life. If you didn't raise your hand, you're probably lying in church right now. Uh, Raise your hand. You don't even have to raise your hand. Just have, how about people who are going through something really hard right now? Like there are just some difficult, hard things. We're less likely to raise our hands. I don't want anybody to know. It's now, right? Uh, Man, it's been said, and I think these three things are true, that you are either just coming through a storm or you're in the middle of a storm right now in your life or a storm is on your horizon. Uh, that's just kind of the way that life works. We live in a broken, fallen world due to sin. And so there are hard things that come into our lives. There are things that shape us in our lives that are difficult and challenging, trials that we face, hardships. And, uh, and David is going to call those things afflictions. We're going to see in the life of David that this truth is no different for us as followers of God than for just normal, everyday people all around us. Hardships are part of life in a fallen world. Jesus even made this promise to us. In this world, you will have what? Troubles. But take heart because I've overcome the world. Right, like David, or excuse me, Jesus tells us, hey, I can make a promise to you. Troubles are going to come. Hardships are going to come. Difficulties are going to be there. Trials are going to be part of the experience. And so if you're taking notes this morning and just want to write something down, I want you to know this. If God promises pain, he must have a purpose to it. 
if God says and Jesus says there are going to be troubles in this world, take heart because I've overcome. If there's going to be a promise of pain, there must be a purpose. And for us to see that purpose and really understand that and get that, we also come around to this idea that perspective in our pain is powerful. That the view that we have of the struggles we're going through, the hardships that we're facing, the difficulties that we experience in our journey has a purpose. And the perspective in our pain is powerful. So for the next month, we're going to be taking a look at the life of David and how God taught him through some hard things. David wasn't uh, somebody who was immune to difficulties and hardships. In fact, David's life is full of difficult things. As we read his story, we're going to encounter over and over again how God allows him and takes him through hardships and crisis and moments that are going to just shape who he is. And so that's what we're going to be looking at for the next few months or next few weeks in this month. Uh, When I met with our sermon planning team this week, one of the things that we discussed and talked about was how David gives us hope. Uh, Because sometimes we think about people in Scripture and we go, well, they had their lives all together and they just did everything the right way and and I'm the mess. But if you look at David's life, David was a mess, right? Like David's life is jacked up. He goes through crazy things. And so when we think about the life of David and we see our lives, my hope in this series is that we're going to look at some things and go, as God trained and taught David through the hardships, maybe he teaches us through the hardships, Maybe there are things that we can identify in our lives that was like David, that we can say, I want to overcome in my life and remain faithful to God and know God's faithfulness to me no matter what comes along. And so David is one of these guys that experienced all kinds of crisis and hardship and pain and trials and difficulties from all kinds of sources, right? Like if you're like me and if you're like David, your life will reflect this, that those difficult things that come in life don't just come from one source, Like there are many sources of pain that bring things into our lives. For David, we're going to see and watch how he goes through several different things as we talk about his life, that we see him uh, in afflictions that come from outside sources. He has enemies that are a constant source of hurt. Some of David's affliction came from disobedience or not following God's instructions. There were just things that he didn't quite do all the way to the things that God desired for him. Other times the affliction David faced was from his own willful sin. That he chose some sinful things, and because of that sin, there were repercussions to that, that he faces trials and hardships. Then we see that there are things that David has afflictions in his life because he was passive, especially when it came to his parenting, that there were things that he just didn't handle well in his family. Anybody ever experienced family pain and trials and hardships and things that come from outside of you, but they're a result of your family? David's going to experience those same things. And so today, my hope is that we can just introduce us to the idea that we're going to see how things play out in the life of David and how hopefully we can learn from him and be overcomers in our life as well. David was not free uh, just because he was a man after God's own heart. And that's not just something we call David. That was God's terminology for David when he uh, told Saul through the prophet Samuel, hey, because of your sin, Saul, I'm not going to have you to remain on the throne and your family generation and lineage is not going to remain. You're going to live out your days, but then I'm going to bring a man after my own heart to the throne. And so that was David. David's going to replace Saul as the second king of Israel. And God says, he's a man after my own heart. That doesn't mean David was perfect. It doesn't mean he had his life together and all figured out and clean and straight. Like there were things that were going on in David's life that were hard. 
But David, when we call him a man after God's own heart, we typically mean to say that David had God at the center of everything that he did. David's life was a life of worship. And he kept God at the forefront of everything. And when David sinned against God, he didn't just remain in his sin and fall deeper and deeper off the cliff. He would come back and he would repent and he would return to God. And I think that's what it really means for us to understand and recognize that we as Christians having a, a heart like God's is that we're going to understand there are going to be things in our life that we do that displease God. But are we going to run from him or are we going to return to him and respond with repentance? And we're going to come back to him and we're going to ask him to, to carry us through those things, that God is going to be faithful. And that's what we're going to see in the life of David. David was yielded to the glory of God, and he was passionate about the things of God. So we're going to look at those things over the next few weeks, and it's probable that you're going to find some of the same afflictions. That's what David calls his pain, hardships, trials, difficulties. He's going to say, these are afflictions in my life. And you're probably going to identify some things like David and go, man, I've had those exact same sources of affliction come into my life. And so I want us to look together. We just read a few minutes ago from Psalm 119. Appreciated Dan reading that for us. But let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture, or verses in that Scripture. One right now, and we'll come back around to another one in just a minute. But Psalm 119, verse 71. I want us to see what David says about this. And before I read this to you, I want you to know it's possible that David didn't write Psalm 119. We don't really know who wrote it. It's anonymous. Uh, most scholars attribute it to David. A lot of scholars will say, hey, it could be kind of a post-exile after the people of Israel had been taken into Babylon in captivity and returned with Nehemiah and Ezra. It's possible that the prophet Ezra wrote these words. And so we don't really know. Uh, I'm going to attribute these to David. And if I'm wrong, I'll ask you and I'll ask God just to forgive me, okay? Uh, so if this is not David, I kind of have this feeling one day I might get to heaven and meet King David and he's going to go, hey, you remember that sermon series you taught and said one, Psalm 119? Yeah, I didn't write that. I'll be like, sorry, man. I just, I didn't know. Uh, so, but here's how I will present this. I can't say 100% for sure. These are David's words, but we're going to approach them as if they are since they're anonymous and David writes so many of the Psalms. We'll go in that direction. So, Here's what we find in Psalm 119.71. He says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Man, what in the world? Has anybody in this room ever gone, you know what, affliction was just one of my favorite things that I've walked through in life. I just was good, and I'm excited about affliction. I love difficulty, hardships, trials, the difficult things of life. And yet David, his perspective on things, he goes, it was good for me to be afflicted. And I want us as a people who follow Christ to get to that same place where we can say, I don't, I don't love affliction. I don't love the things that I go through that are hard. I'm not enjoying this experience. But I can say with hope in my heart, it was good for me to be afflicted. It was good for me to be in that place where God afflicted me. And the perspective is powerful. When we go through these hard things, we can either deny the goodness of God because we feel he's abandoned us or he doesn't care about us, or we can delight in the goodness of God because we see him with us through it all. And so the perspective that David has is it was good for me to be afflicted. He actually says this, because in my affliction, I learned your decrees. And he goes, in my affliction, this is where I learned something. God had something he was teaching me through this. In fact, for a lot of us, sometimes our greatest teacher is our trials. The greatest instructor that you have in life in a lot of ways is the difficult, hard trials that you go through. 
the things that God allows you to walk through, that God takes you through. And so when we see David, we go, man, it is good for me to be afflicted. I learned to walk in your ways. Has anybody ever been to the school of hard knocks? Gone through some challenges? Been knocked down a few times? Learned some lessons? Got back up? One of my favorite people in scripture is Joseph. Joseph in the back end of Genesis uh, is a young guy, and Joseph is kind of like David. He, he has some things that he brings on himself with hardships. He has other things that come from his family, from outside. He's got some, some people who are kind of enemies of his, and, and there are just different ways that Joseph experiences problems in his life. But in all of it, he stays faithful to God. And so in the instance for Joseph and his family, his brothers hated him. He was arrogant and boastful about some dreams that he had had about becoming the greatest in his family and that his whole family was going to bow down and worship him. So his brothers did what all of us would do. They sold him. They're like, let's just get rid of this guy. It's time to nudge him off. Let's send him to Egypt, right? And so they made some cash off of that transaction and they send Joseph to Egypt. Joseph is purchased in Egypt by Potiphar, who's the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. And he works in Potiphar's house and he becomes well-liked there and respected there. And Potiphar's house flourishes and thrives under David. At one point he says, there's nothing that my master has kept from me except one thing. And that would be Potiphar's wife who continually comes on to David. And David keeps avoiding her and ignoring her and running away from her. And eventually at one point she grabs his cloak and rips it off and he runs away and she starts accusing David of things that he never did. Hey, this Hebrew, he tried to rape me. And there's accusations against David and Potiphar has to deal with that. Now you would imagine Potiphar might have Joseph. I kept saying David, didn't I? It's Joseph we're talking about. I did that in the first service too. We're talking about Joseph, right? But you would assume that Potiphar would have Joseph killed for something like that, but he doesn't, which in my mind tells me he doesn't really believe his wife that Joseph would do those things. So what's he do? He throws him in the dungeon, but not just any dungeon. He throws him into the palace dungeon. And so he's now a political prisoner of the Pharaoh and the Pharaoh's captain of the guard. And so here's what we find when Joseph is in prison. I like to call this his season of prison university talking about the hard knocks of life. This is the place that God sends Joseph before he can have him ascend. If you know the story, Joseph becomes number two in command in all of the nation of Israel or of Egypt because he interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh. But before he does that, God sends him to a dungeon. He says, I've got some things I want you to learn. And in prison university where God sends him, he becomes in charge. And he's placed over the cupbearer who's in prison for doing some things wrong to the Pharaoh. And uh, the chief baker who's in prison for doing some things that the Pharaoh didn't like. And I imagine that there are economists down there and there's probably people who dealt with the infrastructure of Egypt down there. And there's all these people that Joseph is in charge of. And for several years, he lingers around in prison. And all of that time, he's learning from these other people how the infrastructure, the religion, the power brokers, the, uh, the government of Egypt works until the moment that God elevates him to a place of authority and responsibility where he becomes number two in command of all of Egypt. But God had taken him to the prison to teach him. He took him through the hardships and the trials and the difficulties. And he does that same thing with us. He's going to take us to places that we may not want to be, but our greatest teacher is sometimes our trials. And I wonder how readily we learn from our hardships. Or maybe you're like me and you just like to complain and whine about the hard things that you go through. I mean, that's my attitude most of the time. Oh, God, why do I have to do this? I hate this. Why is this happening to me? Can't you do this to anybody else other than me? Like, that's just my, my kind of mentality a lot of times. 
But if we can learn to shift our perspective and say, God, in my afflictions, I'm grateful for them because through them I learned to follow your ways. That's my perspective. God, I'm grateful for what you've taken me through. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, the author writes about this exact same thing. Affliction is a teacher that God uses for his glory and for our good. So here's Hebrews chapter 12, starting verse 5. It says, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? So the first thing that he says is, hey, I want you to know what I'm about to write about. These are words of encouragement. This is not to discourage you. This is not to belittle you. This is not to knock you down. This is not to hurt you. These are words of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. He goes, I want you to have the perspective of who's speaking to you in this moment. This is your father, the God of all creation, the God of heaven. He is a father to you, and he is addressing you as sons, as daughters. And I know that some of us have a hard time seeing God in that light as father, because your earthly father, the example that you experienced with earthly fathers was not good, and that you've gone through difficulties and pains and hardships and trials because of dad or because of mom in your life. So to attribute God as being a good, kind, loving father is hard. But the author of Hebrews says, this is a word of encouragement addressing you as a father who loves his son and takes care of his son and wants what's best for his son. He's saying these things. And so then he quotes from Proverbs. He says, the book of Proverbs says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. That Hebrew word is his actions to correct. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. That word is words. When he uses words and speaks words over you of correction, of rebuke. He says, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son. So endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. He'll say, yeah, go through the hard things. Endure hardship. God's trying to teach you something. He wants you to gain from this. There's a, a path that he's taking you on to shape you, to make you more like him. The Part of this all that makes so much sense and that helps us to gain the perspective we need is that God is trying to shape us to be more like his son. It's called sanctification. That he's working out the things in our lives that shouldn't be there to take those things away and to replace them with Christ-likeness. Because that's the goal of all of this. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. So check this out again. What's the perspective we look at when it comes to the trials we come through, the difficulties we come through, this word uh, hardships, this word discipline? We often think about the word discipline as being something like a rebuke or he's, uh, he's chastising us or he's punishing us. But discipline can also mean training or education, that he's teaching us. It's a lot like some of you that are going to go out and run the crazy eight that we talked about in the announcements time. Some of you are going to do that, right? You're going to go run the crazy eight. And I had it in my mind this year that I was going, we were talking with our elders a couple of weeks ago at Andy's house during our elder meeting. And I went, you know, I'm thinking about going out and running the crazy eight this year. I've never done it before. I think I should do that. I went, how long is that anyway? And somebody went five miles. And I was like, nope, not this year. Probably not going to happen. 
because I have not disciplined or trained my body to be able to run right now five miles, right? So if anybody wants to do that with me, I'll gladly walk and occasionally jog if you want to. But I'm not going to be able to run the five-mile distance because I haven't trained or disciplined my body to do that. And he says the same thing is going on here, that God is looking at ways to train us, to discipline us, to educate us, and occasionally to rebuke or correct us. That's a part of discipline. Right? And so then he goes on, and he says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Right? And if you've ever been disciplined by your parents, and I think about that term, discipline, that's not fun at the time, no discipline is pleasant, as like when I was a kid and got spankings. And I would do something wrong, and I would get a spanking. For those children in the room who don't know what spankings are, because that's passed from this generation, uh, that's when your dad would bend you over and whoop your bottom, right? And then you would go on your way, and you would be a better child. But if you think about it, what did your parents always say to you right before the spanking? Son, this is going to what? It's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Then we were doing discipline wrong our entire lives. Should have been like, okay, dad, well, the way I see to correct this issue is that you let me spank you and then I'll deal with the heartbreak of the pain of me. It's going to hurt me a lot more than it's going to hurt you. That's how it should have been. I was never brave enough to say that to my dad, so I just took the beating and went on. But when we think about this, he says, hey, discipline is not pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, perspective, later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. He goes, if you really want to see what God's doing in your life, when he takes you through hardship, pain, trials, difficulty, he goes, you understand that God has a purpose in all of that pain. He's working out things for your good. And he's going to do something great in your life to bring peace, to bring righteousness. Not just a little righteousness, a harvest of righteousness. Because you're going to benefit from these hard things you're walking through. So keep moving forward. So we need to gain that perspective that our afflictions and the trials and hardships we go through in life have this purpose. God is teaching us to trust him. And I love what David does throughout his life. And what we see of David being a man after God's own heart is what? Every time something hard comes into David's life, where does he go? He runs to God. He calls him his fortress and his rock and his shelter and his shield and his defender. Like David learned through afflictions, it was good for me to be afflicted because through him I learned to follow your word, to obey your decrees. David learned to run to God when things got hard. And I wonder how often our lives would be better in the difficult things if we didn't get so uh, to a point where we're like, well, it's just I want to wrap myself in bubble wrap and try to keep all the hard things out. But if I want to go through these hard things, then I'm going to run to the throne of God when I do. And I'm going to get my face in front of his word and I'm going to seek him in this and I'm going to try to find what he's doing here so that I can gain from it. So let's go back to Psalm chapter 119. And we're going to see David make another statement that's pretty powerful in verse 75, he says, I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. May your unfailing love be comfort according to your promises to your servant. Let your compassion come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Right? So David, we're looking at this and going, talk about a perspective we need to learn. He says, in faithfulness, you've afflicted me. God doesn't allow trials and hardships into our lives to harm us. He's showing us faithfulness. And what I love about God and what Scripture teaches us is that when I'm faithless, God remains faithful. That's the whole point of the gospel of grace. 
is that we're not going to follow God in complete obedience all the time. We're just not. We're sinful, broken people. But when we stumble and fall and sin overtakes our lives, God remains faithful to his covenant promise that he's going to rescue us and redeem us. He picks us back up and he puts us back on the right path. And so David says, man, it was good for me to be afflicted. And then he says, and it's in faithfulness that you've afflicted me. God's not coming against us because he hates us, because he wants to knock us down a peg, because he wants to show you how, to, uh, how wrong you are. He says, I want to be faithful to you. So occasionally I'm going to take you through some hard things in your life because I want to grow you in those things. I want to mature you in those things. I want you to be sanctified in those things. So we need to have that perspective change. I think about for me, um, how God sees things that I don't and how he has a perspective that I don't always have. And I go back to my high school days and I think about when I played basketball in high school and I hated the preseason. August and September are the worst times to be a basketball player because all the coaches are going to make you do is run wind sprints and run wind sprints and run wind sprints outside in the heat all afternoon and they're going to run you until you throw up and then they're going to go, okay, now that everybody's sick, let's go to the weight room and let's get under some heavy weights, right? And so that's what we would do. We would run until we wanted to die and then they'd go, great, let's go to the non-air conditioned weight room and let's lift. And a skinny guy like me, lifting is hard anyway. I can remember the very first time that my coaches worked me out with weights and I got home and hours later, my arms still didn't work. Like I had to take a shower and to wash my hair, I had to do this. Like uh, I can't raise my hands because I couldn't get my arms up. Like my arms were done. And you go, what's the point of this? This is terrible. I hate working out. I hate running. But guess what? Our coaches had a perspective that they knew what was coming for us that season. They knew the kind of offense we were going to run, the kind of defense we were going to run, that we were going to put pressure on teams by being full court press all the time, so we better be in shape. And we went from my junior year winning nine games to my senior year winning 24 games. And it was because we got to this place where we went, we're in shape, we're working out, we're strong, we're enduring through the season, we don't fall off at the end of the year like we did last year, we got terrible and difficult, and it was awful losing Winning fixes a lot of things. And I'll never forget, after we won our conference, we blew everybody out in our conference that year. We won our conference. We got to the conference tournament that we hosted at our school. And we had a bye in the first round because we had beaten everybody. So we get a first round bye. And the night of the first games, we're practicing before the other teams come in for their game. Well, there's radio stations and different things from all these other conference schools that are setting up. And they're watching our practice. And after practice is over, one guy specifically comes over to me and goes, you guys practice harder than most teams play. And I went, it's a wonder why we won our conference this year. Like we practice harder than most teams play. There's a reason we're good, right? Like it's all about the execution. And in that moment, I didn't go, yeah, but man, August and September were brutal and I hated it. It was like, man, I saw the purpose now in all the wind sprints and the weight room and all the stuff. My perspective changed. It was good for me to have affliction in my life in August and September. So then in March, things were fun, right? God takes us through things in that same way that a good coach will do to push us and to push us into a place where we have to depend on him and where we see his power at work. And then the power of the gospel is what we're going to find in David's life as we wrap up this morning. The David story is so powerful because God wasn't faithful to David only when David got things right. God was faithful to his promises to David and his covenant to David no matter what David did. It wasn't about David's faith and David's goodness and David's promises. It's about God's. 
And the same thing is true in this new covenant of God's grace, that he is faithful to his covenant, that he's going to save people for his self, that he is going to change the world through his son, Jesus. And that when we accept Jesus, we want to live for him, we want to live like him, but even when we have moments of faithlessness, even when we get tripped up, even when life is hard, God remains faithful. And so I want to close this morning with a quote that I read this week that I really loved because our afflictions are always meant to drive us toward God and we learn from his word and his character to become more like him. Charles Spurgeon wrote this when reflecting on Psalm 119.71. He said, affliction is never welcomed. It's often impatiently endured, but it's always gratefully remembered. Right? It's never welcomed. It's often impatiently endured. But man, when you look back and you see what God's accomplished through some things, it's gratefully remembered. So let me close with three questions this morning as we ask our band to come back up and as we sing one last song just to praise God and to, to say things with our words verbally that sometimes we have a hard time expressing, but in song we can Three questions to ask. Number one, what's your perspective on affliction and hardship and trials? When you think about the hard things you're going through, what's your perspective right now? Can you say, it was good for me to be afflicted? Or is that out? Number two, where does God's greater plan for your holiness fit in those things for your life? What is God doing that he wants to accomplish greater levels of holiness in you as he takes you through trials? And then number three, what are you going through right now that you need to look at with a different perspective and see what God is teaching you that'll be for your future good. That in the moment, we would say like Hebrews, it's not pleasant to go through discipline at the time, but later we reap a harvest of righteousness. And so I want to challenge us to think about our perspective. And as we look at the life of David for the next four or five weeks, that we're just going to see the hard things he went through and what God did to deliver him and to help him overcome. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.